Rob. And I'm Dave. And you're listening to the Doctor Who Show, where tonight we're doing a hot take of the Suranga Conundrum. Hello, Dave. Hello, Rob. How are you? I'm all right. I uh, I watched this episode a bit earlier than our recording tonight. I have only seen it once. I watched it at lunchtime at work. Well, I watched it at the end of the day and then raced home, so I've come in through the door and fed the cat and... Now I'm here here recording. I, I am in a good mood, though, because my Season 12 replacement discs arrived in the office today. Oh, very good. Mine arrived a few weeks ago. Did I ever tell you that? No, but you did put your request in much earlier than I did. Ah, okay. Yeah, no, very happy with that. I still haven't actually put them in the uh, in the case yet. <laughs> They're sitting next to it. <laughs> no, I'm going to do that because if I don't at some point, I'll forget which is which, and that will just be a disaster. What are you going to do with the old ones? Are they going to become like uh, coasters or something? Um, I'll put them on a shelf somewhere just because I can't throw them out because I just can't. I don't know why. It makes no sense. <laughs> it's a very fanish thing, I think. It is, yeah. All right, let's rip into the episode, Dave, because we like to keep these nice and quick. Uh, I guess our word of the week we should start with. Uh, my word of the week is homage. Homage. Good word. My word of the week is foundation. Fair enough. So, Rob, it's your turn to start. The Taranga Conundrum, which I assume is a town in New Zealand. Um, <laughs> I think I've been there. They had, a, <laughs> had these mud uh, mud coming out of the ground and stuff. It was hot. I'm sure Winston Peters is the local MP for um, <laughs> to Taranga. But anyway, what did you think of this story? Dave, I, I am fair to middling on this one. I liked it a lot more than last week's. I'll say that up front. It still wasn't up there where I'm wanting Doctor Who to be, though. Uh, so on balance, it's probably going to be a, a sort of an average episode that I'm talking about tonight. How about you? I'm really not sure what I think of this one. I am fairly confident it's one of the best episodes of Red Dwarf I've seen in quite a while. <laughs> yes. I'm so conflicted on this, Rob. There are a number of really cool moments, the number of really cool ideas, all linked by people standing around talking urgently in corridors, if I can quote Stephen Moffat. Mm, agreed. Um, which which I'm starting to call the Chibnall disease. Yes, because I, I didn't know that Chibnall had, had written this episode, and in fact, when I was watching the credits, it said written by Chris Chibnall, I thought, oh no, are you kidding? Like the first four, no, five episodes now, he's had a hand in, four of them fully, and one of them, he was the co-writer. It's interesting doing these hot takes, Rob, because they are incredibly fresh and there's a lot of power in the honesty of them. Mm. When you talk about other Doctor Who stories, particularly classic ones, there's been literally decades of time to form your opinion and read others' opinion and read detailed and metatextual analyses of them and and all of that sort of carries around in, in, in your views, whereas these ones, we generally have that luxury of just going, this is just what we feel. Yeah, And it's interesting then to sort of go back and see how our views sort of slotted in with those of our friends or people we listen to or people we follow on social media and sometimes we're in sync and sometimes we're not and sometimes there's a divergence. And so, you know, I guess that's just my way of saying we're, we're just sitting here giving our views. It's interesting as well. I can't say, I can't lie. I have seen some comment on this one on Twitter during the course of the day and opinion does seem to be very split. And I think everybody's actually right. Mm. Uh, there, there, is, there is a sense with this one of, if you just sit in and you tune in for a good, fun space adventure, this was a kind of okay, good, fun space adventure. Um, kind of similar to the Ghost Monument. It was just simple, straightforward fun. And if you enjoyed it on that level, then yeah, that's great. And, and part of me did. Uh, but doing this podcast and actually looking for comments to make, I did find that it fell apart really easily. And yes, there was a lot of Chibnall having characters talk around talking at each other. 
so that's 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 all my big comments out of the way, and that's kind of where my mind is, Rob. Were you surprised? And we won't dwell on this, but were you surprised that it was yet another Chibnall episode? Like, you know, we've we've had RTD start off his series, but then he gets out of the way and he lets the the other writers come in, and here we are, literally halfway through this series. And he's had a hand in all of them and fully written four of the five. I, I just think it's a bit much. Yeah, I think so as well. It's it's surprising. And you're right. I mean, RTD season one, he wrote episode one, then four, five, then nine, I think, or ten even. Mm. Oh, yeah, he had gaps. He let other writers come in. He let the show breathe and be a bit different because his episodes... And we'll get to this in a few areas, I'm sure, because I know I'll be talking about it, are a bit samey. Fair enough. Well, I guess we should dive in. Mm, where do you want to start? I'll start, I guess, by saying <laughs> I, I'm just glad we're in space. It looked good, didn't it? I must admit, I was really loving the opening of this. The, mm. the credits came in, and I'm loving the credits more and more every week. And then that really nice little shot where you're looking at what's, what's going on. And then you see the little TARDIS down there, and you're oh, wow, this is expansive. And yeah. then you see the characters, and they're doing something, and... There's bands when you go, oh, this is really different and interesting and sci-fi. And, oh, I'm into this. And I was really into this. And then the stuff with the mine was cool. The getting on the ship was cool. Uh, I, I, I thought the intro, the, the opening act or so was really, really good. And I, I was enjoying it. Oh, look, absolutely. They're, when they were scavenging around, I thought, oh, this is kind of like the Doctor's wife when they're on that planet with all the junked TARDISes and stuff and, and they're, you know, getting around. Oh, I, I quite like this. I might have seen it all before, but I quite like it. Uh, and then, yes, they get on that ship. And uh, I want to give a shout out to Brett Goldstein as Astos. I completely bought into him. He is absolutely the kind of male nurse I have had in hospitals and medical centres. You know, from his trimmed beard to his demeanour, he he absolutely nailed what male nurses are like. And I thought, this is great. I'm really loving this character. And then, of course, he got killed. <laughs> yeah, it, it was a, a wonderful, friendly professionalism. Yeah, yeah, and completely believable. Sometimes when you're watching shows like this, you know it's just someone playing a part. But I was really buying into that performance. I know it might seem weird because he's just a minor character in the scheme of the story, but I really bought into Astos. But we only know he's a minor character because we've seen the episode. Oh, yes, of course. <laughs> so so, so he, he was, in fact, in some ways playing the Samuel L. Jackson role in Deep Blue Sea. Yes. The guy that, the guy that you think is <laughs> going to get them out of this and then gets eaten by a shark halfway through. No, I was, I was, look, I was really enjoying being in space. Even the limited sort of corridor sets are just, I don't know, it made me think of the 80s in some ways, maybe. Maybe the Dave O'Hara of it. I was kind of, I was kind of at home, actually, Dave. I didn't think Dave I thought Heart of Gold in the Hitchhiker's TV series. Ah, yeah, I can you see know? that. Yeah, and, and, and I was thinking, you know, that, that Arthur Dent line where he says, now this is what a real spaceship looks like, all this gleaming metal and flashing lights. And <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's what I thought of. And, I, and my sci-fi fan brain likes gleaming metal and flashing lights in cool spaceships. Yeah, but where does it go from there? This was an example of the companions not having much to do throughout the whole story. Like, we sometimes say Yaz doesn't have much to do. I think the companions didn't have much to do at all. I got the feeling Graham was off screen for 10 or 15 minutes at one point. That wouldn't surprise me. That sounds about right. Uh, and look, when he was on screen, he was good. And his confrontation with uh, the brother, Dirkus. Dirkus Cicero, that's right. Yep. That, that was really lovely played. And you know, we've said before, Gosh can take a little bit of material or some underwritten material and make it good. And he did that here as well. But yeah, I, I noted very early on in my well, notes, I think it's the third note I wrote, in fact, Rob, 
I've just written here, large cast, really interesting. But about four or five lines down, I've gone, yeah, not much room for the companions, though, is there? Well, that's the thing, because we have Astos, we have uh, Mabel, the other nurse. Uh, we have Eve Cicero and Durka Cicero. We have uh, Ronan and we have Yoss. Uh, and, of course, we have Pating and the Doctor and three companions. <laughs> and for a fairly limited set, that's a lot of people, I do agree. Yeah, and, and that's fine. I mean, it's okay to have shows where the companions do fall into the background because you've got a really cool guest cast. I don't mind that. I think the only reason why it grates a little is simply because we have been discussing now for four weeks that the at least one, if not two, companions has been uh, vanishing into the background of episodes. So if we'd had three or four really strong stories for all the companions and then you get one with a guest cast, yeah, that's fine. This just seemed like the continuation of a trend. Mm. When I look at the cast list, though, I think, well, well, what would I chop out? Would I chop out the pregnant guy? Yes. And I, well, well, <laughs> I, get, I get where you're coming from. But then I think, but then what, what other story could they give to Eve and, and Dirkus? It, it kind of felt a bit played out as it was. You know, it might feel really padded if they did more there. You know, I'm, I'm not sure. Um. No, I, I'm not sure, and I can't just rewrite this episode off the top of my head, but I would take out the pregnant guy, and I would give Yaz something to do, maybe dealing with a wounded um, passenger or something. I, I don't know. Um, that that plotline to me was too much, yeah. and, and it wasn't funny, and it wasn't useful. Uh, Red Dwarf did the male getting pregnant, what, 30 years ago now? About that, yeah. <laughs> um, so this isn't exactly cutting edge. Um, when Red Dwarf did it, they did it with all that sort of reverse sexual politics and comment. That's right. And and they still managed to do it without it being, and tonight on a very special episode of Doctor Who, <laughs> where, you know, we learn about teen pregnancy kids. <laughs> I, I yeah. Look, since, since we've gone there, I thought that whole pregnancy plot line was absolute rubbish. There is Somebody needs to tell television producers the world over there is no interesting storyline about watching somebody give birth. doesn't matter whether it's a drama, a comedy, a movie. There is never, it is never interesting watching somebody give birth. It is boring. It is tedious. It is cliched. And the fact it was done by some loser bloke was not edgy. Red Dwarf did it 30 years ago. Yeah. The guy wasn't even a good actor. I just hated that stuff. Get rid of it. Yeah. Was he not a good actor or was he acting really well at someone who's a bit dumb? Um, no, no, I, I think he was acting the way an actor plays dumb, not a way, an, uh, like a good actor isn't acting, or a good actor doesn't let you know they're acting. Mm. This guy was doing all the things you do if you want to act like somebody who's acting dumb. Yeah. yeah. So it was, it, was, it was acting by numbers. In, in, in my completely unprofessional view, as somebody who's never acted a day in their life, well, not <laughs> since, you know, year eight play. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, come at me if you, if you want to disagree, I'm fine. But no, I, I thought he was terrible. The plot was terrible. The concept was terrible. It was terrible. Yeah. No, look, I uh, completely agree. What about the concept, though, of this ship that just sort of flies around on autopilot and picks people up? It sort of seemed plausible. And then at other times I thought, wait, would this really happen like this? It reminded me a bit of the hospital ship from the Blake 7 episode Power Play. Uh, just another reference that I'm going to throw in there. Yes. I, I thought the concept actually worked quite well. Um, they compared it to a wartime ambulance, and that made a lot of sense. We are dealing in, was it the 5th, 65th century, 63rd century? Something like that, yeah. Something like that. And so this idea that it would be automated made really good sense. Uh, yeah, I, I bought into that, and I bought into the characters. I bought into the world. 
the one bit I didn't buy into was the huge contrivance that they couldn't do anything different or it would be blown up for security reasons. That that was just a little bit of, okay, yes, we're covering this problem with a line, but it was really contrived in my view. Yeah, especially when I assume they have their own version of the Hippocratic Oath or something. That would be hugely breaking the Hippocratic Oath and just start blowing people up just because yeah. a ship did something slightly different. Yeah, it was... A classic example of why is this happening well because it makes the plot more exciting but does, no no who cares it just makes the plot exciting run with it and again rob we spoke about the observer principle last week when we were talking about whether analyzing an episode and looking at it distorts our opinion of it this i think is a very good example of that had i just been sort of watching this and going with the flow i don't think i would have minded i might have noticed but again when you're watching it and doing a bit of an analysis mm. for a podcast these are things that just stand out as Awkward! Yeah, yeah, look, agree. Shall we talk about the Doctor? Because I've got something to say with regard to that scene where she met uh, Eve Cicero and was like, oh, General Cicero, you're very, you know, well-known and you're in this book and so on. And then, of course, Eve is like, oh, I I think the Doctor, you're in this book too. And she sort of downplays it, but then walks out of the room and then is like, oh, it's more like... It's a volume. It's a volume. That's it. Thank you. It's been hours since I've seen the app now. No, because I wrote it down word for word because I was going to make a very similar point, I suspect. And the, and just the way she said it, it just... It was like a tenant arrogant sort of line, but she just didn't play it right. It, it was played really weirdly, actually. And it just, it just didn't come off for me that bit. It was definitely her weak part of the episode. An episode where I think we'll go on to say she did quite well. If I could change one thing in the whole of New Who, it would be to erase this concept of the Doctor being a known thing. All of that, I'm the Doctor, run. Never put me in a trap. Look me up. Oh, you're the Doctor. You're known as the oncoming... Wank, 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 wank. I would delete all of that, and this, to me, was a terrible example. I don't want the Doctor to be somebody that people read about in books. The Doctor is just this idiot in a box, if I can quote Capaldi, who just turns up and gets involved in adventures. It Wasn't there even an episode in the Moffat era where he did erase himself, and he wasn't going to be that anymore? Like, have we just forgotten that, and now he slash she is back to being that? I, I don't get it. Or did he raise himself from the Daleks? Or I, I don't know. I, 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 yeah, something like that has happened. Listeners, write in and tell us. <laughs> yeah, so I, I wasn't too impressed with that. There, there were some other scenes that were okay. I mean, I don't think Jodie blotted a copybook this week. but I thought she did some things quite well. I really liked her speech comparing... The antimatter drive, you know, this is the this is to, you know, your engines, what the iPhone is to the first telephones. That was a lovely speech. I quite liked her, you know, not quite sure if her plan had worked and whether the Pating, Pating. That's it, Pating, whether the Pating was going to take the bait. I, I thought that was a nice doctorish moment of fallibility and eccentricity. She was fine here without being stellar. Yeah, and there was a scene where she hardened up a bit and she was she was reasonably tough. And I thought, okay, I'm starting to see uh, bits of a Doctor that I might like here, but it just didn't fully fully come off. And I think, geez, Dave, we're halfway through this series now. Mm. Look, we are halfway through this series, and at the moment Jodie is sitting pretty much smack bang in the middle of the Doctors for me. She's not sitting my world on fire and sort of, you know, pushing to be in my top five. She's not doing that. 
neither is she annoying me and, and giving me things that make me dislike and sort of pushing to be in my bottom four or five. No. She's, she's just a good, capable, competent, interesting doctor at the moment. Um, nothing more, nothing less. I think I'm there, right there with you. And the only thing that disappoints me about that is that with a new era, new showrunner, first female doctor, everything's changing. Ah, I kind of expected maybe a, a little more by this point. I would have liked a little more. I would like her to be bashing on the door of that top five going, let me in. Um, yeah. She's got another half, half season to do it. And, and, you know, listeners, don't get me wrong. I'm not sitting here bashing her. I'm enjoying no. her performance. But when I compare her to Hartnell and Pertwee and Eccleston and Capaldi and Tom Baker, she's not in, she's not in that five. No. No, not at all. And, you know, we, we, we're on social media throughout the day, Dave, and we see people absolutely rave about her and maybe they're genuine but i've got the feeling that people just want to rave about her because she's the new doctor <laughs> look look i think some people genuinely get excited by these things in a way that we might have when we were 16 or younger or younger or, or older in, in different cases some people genuinely latch on to these things and love them and get, and get carried away by that uh i can remember you know capaldi's middle season which a lot of my friends were a bit iffy on I kind of just bought and got carried away in it, and I was just really enjoying it. And if you do get into a zone, or you do get into a rhythm, uh, into sync with it, with it, with the season, or with the Doctor, you do get carried away with it a lot more than we have. And 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 you know, maybe we're just waiting to click. You know, something will click, and suddenly we'll get it, and it'll all work. So yeah, I I I get that people would like this. I get that it's exciting and new. Um, I also think that if this is your fifth Doctor rather than your thirteenth Doctor then I'm not saying the bar's low, that's the wrong phrase, but there is less competition. Yeah, well, that, that's uh, simple math. Yeah, yeah, and, and exactly. I'm not saying that to diss anything. I'm just saying that if you're a fan of the new series or even someone who joined with Tenet and you've really only got four Doctors, then Jodie's going to be in your top four and you're going to have a different level to, well, you know what, she's a runner 13, Doctors come, Doctors go, you know, we're mm. all a bit jaded and maybe, maybe we are a little bit. Yeah, look, uh, that that is actually a really good way of looking at it. She should be in your top four because that's all you've got. <laughs> yeah, whereas we're comparing her to you know thirteen doctors and Peter Cushing, exactly, <laughs> and Rowan Atkinson. <laughs> yeah, and David Banks <laughs> and Joanna Lumley. <laughs> oh no, let's let's, let's not go that far, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> the first female doctor. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So look, I. I found this the hardest episode to kind of talk about in some ways. I mean, last week we didn't like the episode much at all, but we found heaps to say. Whereas this week, I'm I'm sort of okay with the episode. It's it's fair to middling for me, as I said at the start. I'm just not finding a lot of meat in there to really get into. Oh, look, I agree. I've got by far the least notes I've had for any episode, and you don't measure an episode by how many notes you wrote. I've I've got some episodes of the goodies where I've written pages and pages about them for the podcast and. They were not good notes. No. <laughs> uh, whereas this one, I found, frankly, for probably the last half an hour, I was kind of just sitting back and letting it happen. It wasn't something that I thought needed detailed analysis. It was just just happening, and I was fine with it. Yeah, and look, it's, it's another Chibnall episode with a fairly basic plot and a fairly inconsequential, low-stakes villain. 
um, you know, there's this little creature. He can eat lots of stuff, you know, amazingly. Some somehow he digests it all. Um, so, so, so the alien creature from uh, Galaxy Quest. Yeah, yes. <laughs> but wasn't he well done? I thought the special effects were quite good. Uh, yeah, it was. A, it was a lovely idea. I liked the fact that it wasn't bipedal and it wasn't humanoid. Uh, which is really cool, you know. It, it, it wasn't a dude in a rubber costume or even in Star Trek face makeup. That's that's good. Yeah. Um, it, it, it did look, I'm being it, it did remind me very strongly of the little alien creatures from Galaxy Quest. Uh, it was different. It, it looked, yeah, I, I, I thought it was kind of cool. Once again, had this come at the end of a run of episodes that had good, strong villains, we would have gone, this is a really nice, different thing to have. They, they sort of had a 10-minute expositional scene of what it's not going to do. It's it's not going to eat you, and it doesn't do this, and it doesn't do that. It's just going to do this over here. But it's really dangerous. Um, <laughs> I think they did defang it a little bit. But no, it, it, it was cool. Its motivation was interesting. Uh, I, I thought the Doctor sort of, you know, oh, it eats it, energy. Ooh, and I'm going, nobody'd worked that out before. <laughs> I thought that was a little bit, you know, trite, but... Hey, yeah, it was a, it was a cool little monster, and it's interesting as well though, because the more I think about it being defanged, the first thing it does um, after coming on board and sort of doing that whole alien thing of you know there's something out there and you can hear the, the rustles in the in the corridors and stuff. But where is it? Where is it? Where is it? And it's moving um, quick. Kind yes. of got me. I was like, oh, it's moving quick. Oh, this is exciting. Yes, yeah, alien aliens. That was from yes. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, it does all that, they build it up, and then, like, is clever enough to trap Astos in the life capsule and detonate it. And I'm thinking, ooh, this is a really cunning alien. This is, this is dangerous. Eh, that didn't really go anywhere. Kind of like with the spiders last week, where we said, ooh, these spiders, they've really built them up, they could be dangerous. And then, no, no, they, 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 you just shoot them. Yeah. Well, look, this is where I was going to sort of go. You know, we've got Pating this, this week. And, you know, he, he's not really evil and he's just doing his thing. The spiders last week, oh, they're just big spiders. They've just grown a bit big, you know. Oh, I can't breathe. It won't hurt you. Um, Rosa Parks before that, well, we had the uh, the space Nazi who just got zapped back to the Golden Age. And um, couldn't hurt you because he had a limiter. It, it, precisely. Ghost Monument. Um, there were microbes in the water that would eat you, but they didn't even drop a chicken nugget in to test that, let alone fall into the water or do anything like that. And uh, if anybody kills anybody, you get disqualified, so they weren't going to kill anybody. Precisely. And then we had Toothman in the first episode who just got kicked off a crane and disappeared before he fell off. And it's like, oh, really? That's all we've got? Like, I'm, I'm not saying for one minute, Dave, oh, I'm really wishing the Daleks would be back or the Cybermen, whatever. No, I'm, I'm not. I'm just wishing we'd have some villains that were really menacing or had some consequence to them or, or something. Like, as you say, you can have an episode like this once in a while and you go, oh, that was different, that was quirky, great. But when they're all, all these episodes in a row are basically the same sort of thing, it's like, hmm... Is that is that it, Chippers? Like even now, yeah. if if even now, if the next five episodes are villains of consequence, we still have this whole first half of the season, half of a season, where it's just these inconsequential, boring villains. Yes, I agree. <laughs> you said it well. 
Thank you. And I'm really, you know, I know last week I got a bit wound up on the episode because it truly was woeful. Um, And I'm not trying to be wound up this week because the episode, I think, was a lot better than last week's. But I am starting to maybe get a little peeved with the series as a whole at the moment. Yeah, that's a really good way to look at it. And I think think that's where I've been trying to get my brain and you've, you've summed it up well there, Rob. Did I enjoy this episode in isolation? Yeah, it was a perfectly fine episode enjoyable as the fifth installment of this series that's where i think it fell down a little or or, or maybe drags this series down a bit not because it was bad but just because it is a continuation of sameness yeah look completely agree and to go back to what i was saying at the start okay chibbers write the first episode okay chibbers write the second episode okay chibbers co-write the third episode but then get the mm, out of the way let the, let the fourth and fifth episodes be written by completely new people doing new things. Have a break, Chibbers. Just, just script edit it, okay? You can come back and have a go later. It's all right. There'll still be episodes for you, Chibbers. You don't have to write them all at once, okay? It's interesting. Last night I was prepping for the next episode of Spacefall, the Blake 7 podcast that Richard and I are going to record, and we were prepping for the episode Shadow. And I was making a note there that this is the first episode of Blake 7 not written by Terry Nation, mm. and that him writing those 14 episodes of a sci-fi series in a row actually was a record that stood for about 20 years until JMS wrote 40-something episodes of Babylon 5 in a row. Yes. <laughs> and, and, and that, to me, really highlighted just how unusual it is to get anybody writing that sort of length of episodes of this sort of a series in a row. It just doesn't happen. It, it was notably unusual and extraordinary and record-breaking when Terry Nation did it on Blake 7. But, look, I think you'd be the first to comment as well that it kind of, you know, stuffed him, you know? He, he was really sort of stretching oh, things by the time yeah. he got to 13, 14 episodes. Absolutely, and if he'd not had a script editor as talented as Chris Boucher to do the second and third drafts of those and, and spice them up a bit, in the same way that JMS, when he was writing Babylon 5, had Harlan Ellison looking over his shoulder, spicing them up a bit. and An absolute legend, and, Harlan yeah, Ellison. Yeah, yeah. A, a sci- yeah, you're right, a sci-fi legend. You can get away with it. I don't know who Chibbers has in the background looking over his drafts and going, cut that, add that up, spice that up, let me give you a few cool lines here and there. Maybe he could have done with it. I, I've always said both RTD and Moffat could have done with that sort of thing as well. Well, my, my fear is in this era of the showrunner, they, they don't have anyone because they think they're, you know, they think they're it. <laughs> It's the George Lucas syndrome. Yeah. Where, and I'm sure you're very familiar, Rob, with those documentaries about the making of the Star Wars prequels where George Lucas comes in and says, hey, everybody, what do you think? And they're all like, it's great, George. You're awesome, George. We agree with you, George. Which, yeah. which, which one do you like, George? Yeah. And, and you know, sort of terrified that if they say, you know what, George, this scene isn't working. Could we just, like, rewrite it? It's going to be, oh, get out, go away. Yeah. You don't know Star Wars. <laughs> Indeed, and we had the passing of Gary Kurtz recently. Gary Kurtz was the producer of the original Star Wars films, and he was a guy who kept George honest. He was a yes. this, this this amazing guy who'd been to Vietnam. He was like a cinematographer in Vietnam, but um, he always wore an empty holster because he was a Buddhist and he didn't want to like you know um, get into an actual fight. But he was still happy to serve his country. He's this fascinating, fascinating guy, and he recently died. It's so sad. Yeah, he did and- Dark Crystal and. A whole bunch of things people from that era would remember. Really talented guy. 
Yeah, and, you know, Gary kept George honest, but when we get to the prequels and you've got Rick McCallum there as the producer, he is a yes-man extraordinaire, and we all know how well the prequels did. We've come a long way from the Taranga conundrum. It's because Taranga. we've got so little to say about it, I think, Dave. <laughs> let's, let's go back to talking about the characters. Um, we've got the Ciceros. Yes. Now, Ben Bailey-Smith, it took me a couple of scenes to work out where the hell I'd seen him before, but I worked it out. Where is it? He's the guy who... Have you seen Ricky Gervais's David Brent music um, videos? Ah, oh, that... Yes, like where he's wearing all the all-white costume and he's doing yeah. that. Yeah, and he's, yeah. Doing like, he's doing a quality street and all that sort of thing. Yes. And then the David Brent Life on the Road movie, he's the co-star of that, where he's he's this hip young rapper that... David Brent sort of said, hey, come with me, I'll be your agent and I'll I'll make you a star. And he kind of realises that David Brent isn't the guy to do that after all. That's um, right. I've, yeah, seen, that I've seen that once, that film, but yes, yeah, yeah. quite right. Yeah, he's that guy. So yeah, well, that was kind of cool to see him and he gives a decent performance. And indeed, Suzanne Packer, who I'm not familiar with, I don't know if you know anything about her, Rob? Nothing at all. No, me either. She gave a very good performance as well. Yeah, she did. I I must have missed something, and this is the problem again of hot takes. You you can miss something, and if you miss it, maybe the whole fundamental meaning of the episode's lost. Although in this example, I don't think so. I just didn't understand why this really well-known general was on this ship. Like, why wasn't she with her army or her fleet or what? I assume because she was ill. Yeah, but wouldn't her military service be looking after her? Like, why would she be picked up on this weird little well, ship well, flying around no, the place? If, if, if this is a space ambulance and you're the military and you've got a space ambulance going past, then why um, divert resources when you could just put her on the ambulance? Like, I, 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 that, that made perfect sense to me. It was like World War One: ambulances drive around, you put your wounded on them and they go and do their thing. You don't divert resources. Yeah, oh, okay. Look, uh, yeah, I can buy into that. Yeah, it just it just stood out to me a bit. Um, okay, no, that made perfect sense to me. Uh, I liked her android. He was very pretty, wasn't he? <laughs> he had good hair, and I think they even made reference to the hair. <laughs> yes, yeah, no, he was good. He's been in The Crown in a very minor role. Okay. Yeah, uh, look, I, I found them to be interesting characters. I liked the way she was flying the ship at the end, which, of course, eventually does her in, and then the brother has to take over, although that was a bit cliché. No, and we have to mention, of course, that the android was doing a very good impression of the um, android from the Prometheus movies and, I guess, the latter Alien movies. <laughs> there have been a lot of callbacks to movies like that. Like, we had Predator in the first story and, you know, all through. And we've compared uh, this uh, Pating, the way he was moving around to Aliens. And Galaxy Quest. And Galaxy Quest. I think Chibnall has been seeding some of this in. It can't all be coincidence. No, I'm, I'm looking forward to the Karate Kid rocking up next week. <laughs> <laughs> and then, well, I was about to say, and then Ghostbusters, but then I realised when Yaz and uh, the other bloke were chasing uh, Pating around, that was almost like a, um, a Ghostbusters uh, weapon they were sort of uh, firing around. Well, we have had the Ghost Monument as well. We have indeed. <laughs> the Chibnall death count, Dave. <coughs> I've got to get this in. It went up by two in this episode from eight to double figures, ten deaths in five episodes. So this is a point I actually wanted to stop on and, and, and discuss this week, Rob. We originally created this concept of the Chibnall death count because of the carnage in uh, The Woman Who Fell Down. Whereas... <laughs> yes. Um, so, so, and and that, let, me, let me get this right. That, that, that now accounts for half of the death count still. It would. It would, I believe, yes. Yeah, which is just... And I'm not 
making a judgment call here. I'm just thinking it's really interesting. We watched the first episode and said, wow, the, the, the deaths here, there, you know, there, was, there was lots of deaths and some really dirty, damn deaths. And, oh, wow, I felt for that guy. I felt for that guy and all about that guy. It's like Eric Sayward's back. Yeah, yeah. We thought, okay, well, this, 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 this is going to be a thing. Let, let's have a Chibnall death count and, you know, see how many hundreds he kills over the next episode. And it actually hasn't worked out that way at all. And that's just a really interesting switch in tone from episode one to the rest of the season. Yeah, so I'm actually glad we're doing the death count. It hasn't panned out quite the way I thought. I thought we'd be adding five and ten, <laughs> ten yeah, yeah, people yeah, me every too, week. Me too. Uh, but it, it has shown us the reverse, that it's, uh, yeah, as you say, half of this total was in the first episode. Yeah, yeah, that's just a really interesting point. Mm. Shall we go to the sports desk? Yes, let's go to the sports desk. Alrighty. Here we are at the Sports Desk, where for our new listeners, we look at the MVP of the week, the player of the week, and the foul of the week. Where should we start this week, Dave? Uh, Look, I'll give you my play. Okay. And I'm going to give it to the scene of the Doctor in the antimatter drive chamber, giving that nice little homily about technology and hope. I thought that was a lovely little Doctor-ish moment that pointed to a very positive future, and I liked it. It was a nice moment. All righty. My player of the week, Dave, is... We got a sci-fi episode in space. <laughs> we, you know, I forget what these are like sometimes when we're, you know, not to diss the Rosa Parks episode. We both scored at the highest of this season. But, you know, you have a Rosa Parks episode. You have the episodes in Sheffield, like the first one and last week. And it's like, oh, God, I'd just like to be in space on a cool spaceship. I really would. And we got it this week. And it's funny, when I did my first cut of these notes, when I, as I was watching the episode, I was jotting down what was likely to be my picks. The what I had actually down for my play was that first shot of the cruiser going through space. I just thought, wow, this is cool. And it's only as I was driving home, um, having watched it and just playing things with them, I thought, you know what, that speech, it's really sitting in my memory. It's really digging down and, and, and it probably deserved to be up there, but it could very easily have been, wow, that's a cool spaceship. Yeah. Quite right. Foul of the week. I'll go first here, Dave. I've already spoken about it, so I won't labour the point, but Another week, another really low-stakes villain. Fair enough, fair enough. A well-represented and well-realised one. Oh, he looked fantastic. He was kind of quirky. You know, his stature made him quite fun, you know? (laughs) I would have liked him to kill one or two more people. Ideally, the pregnant guy. Yes, yes. And and I don't say that like in a, in a in a silly way. I think that really would have ratcheted up some more tension because there was tension at the start where the lovely nurse got killed, but then it kind of went away because all this guy would do was bare his teeth and then run around. Yeah, one maybe two more deaths, and even if you just had a couple of incidental crew members there or a couple of extras to get killed, I I, mean, I would have liked the pregnant guy to get killed because I hated him. But you know, <laughs> you, you you know what I'm saying. Absolutely. What was your foul, Dave? Look, I was very tempted to give it to the Chibnall disease of people just standing around in corridors explaining the plot to each other at great lengths. Mm. I might even have focused in on that scene where you had the exposition machine that gave us the Encyclopedia Britannica history of the Pating, mm. um, which was really clunky, particularly when 
General Cicero has encountered them and you could have had her explaining it to it. You, you know that scene in Jaws where they give the story of the Indianapolis? Yes. You know, what thousand of us went into the water and 200 of us came out alive. And, yeah. you know, she could have given that scene. Yes. <laughs> and yes. Instead, instead we got the Patinga from this planet and they do this and they do this and they do this and they do this and this is... This can't be our imagination, Dave, that this has happened in several episodes in different ways, but it has happened in several episodes now. Yeah, so I, I wanted to flag those and, and give my alternates, but I'm actually giving my foul of the week to the um, There's a Whole Volume About Me. I do not like the Doctor being known. I do not like the Doctor being a character in an encyclopedia. Just turn up and have adventures. It's a personal one for me, but that's my foul of the week. And I hated the way she delivered the line. It just didn't land at all. So, Rob, what about your player of the week? Dave, my MVP of the week is the special effects team for Pating and, to a lesser extent, the spaceships in general. Um, but Snap! <laughs> I thought I was being really clever at getting myself out of a conundrum by doing that. And no, you had the same idea, damn you. There you go. Um, <laughs> <laughs> on on Pating, Pating was bizarre and cute and scary and done really well. I think Pating done wrong could destroy the whole episode, and that didn't happen. Like, I still think there were some issues with Pating. We are just mentioning how he could have killed some more people and all that sort of stuff. Forget about that side of things. I'm more just on what he looked like and how he fitted into the, the scenery and stuff. He looked great. He fitted there. I believed in the character, and I thought this is fantastic for a TV budget. Yeah, so that the opening shot on the junk world, the shots of the cruise, the shots of the cruiser in space, the space station at the end. Yeah, this this was wonderful. We've spoken at length about the filmic visuals in this series, but here the special effects in this series were right up there with some of the best we've seen in Who. And so, yeah, um, I mean, I, I was originally struggling to work out who to give it to because I, I didn't think there were any bad performances apart from the pregnant guy. But there was no one that stood out. You know, Graham didn't get a lot to do. Yaz and Ryan were barely in it. The Doctor was okay. The other characters were fine. And then, yeah, it hit me that special effects deserve an award. So, um, snap. All righty. Well, look, word of the week. Uh, We've remembered to bring it back. (laughs) So let's, uh, let's discuss our words of the week. Well, Rob, my word was homage. Do you get an inkling as to why I said that? Uh, well, homage to Red Dwarf, homage to uh, Aliens, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Homage, homage to everything. Right. Um, there, was, everything. There, was so much, there was so much of this episode, I've gone, that's like that, and that's like that, and there are the things from that. And I just thought, I don't know whether this is deliberately a homage to classic sci-fi, but either by accident or design, it is a homage to science fiction. All right. My word was foundation. I'll give you the same chance. Do you know what I might mean by that? Is this the foundation of something good from here, maybe? Almost. I think this is the kind of episode you can build on. It's not brilliant on its own, but it's solid enough and you can go places from here. Of course, you can also fall off a cliff and be absolutely woeful like last week. That's entirely possible because, hey, last week came after Rosa, which was fantastic, and then all of a sudden we took a huge step backwards. Anything is possible, (laughs) but uh, I'd like to think this is a foundation that they can build on and maybe next week is our version of Dalek or something. I don't know. All the building blocks of a really good second half are in place. Yes. The Doctor's good. Not great, in my opinion, and yours, but good. The Companions are, for the most part, good, if not very good. I mean, you're massively Team Graham. I'm massively Team Ryan, and that's Mm -hmm. okay. Uh, 
the visuals are great. The ideas are there. If it just gets a little bit more polished, like I've said it every episode now, if you can just go up another gear, everything is here to be a really good second half. Well, I'm just going to flat out add to that and say, if we can just get Chibnall not writing as many episodes, I think we're in within a bigger chance as well. Ooh. You might very well think that, Rob. I couldn't possibly comment. <laughs> All right. Uh, for a score on this episode, I'm throwing a 7 out of 10 at, at it. That's probably no surprise. That's about where I sit with the first two episodes now in hindsight. It was almost an 8 at times because I was I was actually quite enjoying it in places, especially at the start, especially with um, Astos and, you know, and him getting sent off in the, the rescue pod and all of that. Mm-hmm. Great stuff. But then I sat back towards the end and thought, no, that really wasn't an eight. So I think seven's the best I can give it. But it is a solid seven. It's not a weak seven. Seven out of ten. I'm giving it a six and a half. Uh, I gave Spiders last week a five. Mm-hmm. And and I thought this was, you know, well and truly above that. Not quite as good as maybe um, Ghost Monument and Rosa. So it's sitting in there at, again not a bad six and a half a fun six and a half mm. and next episode demons of the punjab where dave i think it was at the end of the first episode where we saw all these actors we didn't know but i made the comment there are a lot of asian actors here are we having an episode set in india or something mm. and here we go demons of the punjab it is do we have any hot take feedback this week rob Yes, we do, Dave. And first up, Bernard D at Bernard JKD on Twitter. Initially interesting ep that gradually fizzled its way into mediocrity. My fave bit is that we get a curious return to spaceship corridor sets designed to resemble the Doctor's costume, a la sets in the Davo and Colin Baker eras. <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah, there's nothing there that I could not understand or, or, or agree with. I, the, the, the opening was the strongest part. The ending was the weakest part. It didn't fizzle completely for me, but I, I get exactly where Bernard's coming from. And the comment about the costume is a good one. Yeah, and a follow-up comment from Bernard. I actually liked Jodie a good deal this week. She only had some undignified dialogue, uh, and he cites the all 900 Hamilton casts. God be with the days when the Doctor's weekly moment of charm didn't trivialise the character. Wasn't sure what the point of her stomach injury was. I guess that was just to say that she'd been through some, some stuff. Yeah, I must admit, I also thought that was going to go somewhere, and it didn't. Unless it's going to come back sometime, but yeah. Hmm. Okay. All right, David Clark, at David Clark 14 enjoyed tonight's episode. Brilliant to look at, and the little baddie was relentless, but slightly cute. Star player, I think, was the Doctor. 7 out of 10 overall, but could have done without the pregnant man. There's nothing there I'll disagree with either. <laughs> and finally daniel martinez at electric maestro 5 says uh looking back at last week's dialogue i'm sensing whoever's writing and editing Whitaker's script is going a bit overboard with the socially awkward small talk i've seen others agree the stream of consciousness rambling was too much yeah i totally understand that as well um is it really grating for me yet no but i would get why it would so yeah i understand that tweet as well there's some yeah three really good thoughts there thank you for sending them in yeah i I think i'll just wrap up by saying we're halfway through the series here at this point i think the rest of this series could just meander along like these first five episodes but if it does i'd really hope chibbers and the production team sit back at the end of and think well this worked that didn't and really have a good look at it and can possibly come back and make a cracking second series for jody because all the building blocks are there. All the building blocks are there. Whether they use them to their best 
in the next five episodes, or as you say, they use them for a really cool second album. I don't know, but there's nothing wrong with what they're playing with. They just need to play with them a little bit better, in my opinion. But a fun, happy episode. Absolutely. And on that note, I've been Rob. And I've been Dave. And we'll see you next week. You've been listening to The Doctor Who Show, the podcast where too much Doctor Who is barely enough. Subscribe to us on iTunes or listen through the website at www.thedwshow.net. Write to us at hello at thedwshow.net or send us a quickie on Twitter at thedwshow. Facebook.com forward slash thedwshow is also a good place to find us if you're so inclined. Our version of the Doctor Who theme arranged by George Locke. Look him up on YouTube, folks. This podcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. Doctor Who, all names and sounds, and any other related items are trademarks and or copyrights of the BBC. All other trademarks and trade names are properties of their respective owners. The official Doctor Who website can be found at www.bbc.co.uk forward slash Doctor Who.